Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we are only mildly entertaining. A lot may say, where the hell have these guys been? I say we are exactly back to where we need to be, talking Chiefs football going into a monster AFC championship game. And, oh yeah, KU and Kansas State, they played uh, just a small little basketball game since we spoke to you last. And then KU said, oh, you thought that game was crazy? Hold my Gatorade. Texas Tech is coming to town. Welcome into episode 89 of the Keeper of the Games podcast, the only podcast focusing on sports in and around out of interest to Wichita, Kansas. I am Blake Cripps, joined by Tommy Castor. Tommy, well, we're like three weeks late, but here we are. Season three kicks off today. 2022 is here, and there's been a lot that's happened since we talked to the fans last, and we've got a big show coming up for them this week. Yeah, we had our second annual holiday extravaganza back in uh, December, a couple weeks before Christmas to wrap up season two. Uh, And we had plans to come back mid-January, early to mid-January. I had COVID, uh, which wasn't fun, completely lost my voice for, you know, a little while. And, you know, just um, just the way that uh, things work, we both got busy with with work and things like that and kind of pushed our our uh, our start date back. But we are here. We were able to get at least one show in in January and uh, we're here to kick off season three. Yeah, it is a big show. One scheduling change that you should be aware of for the Keeper of the Games for season three. As you know, Tommy has added a new chapter to his life as a father and uh, that's obviously demanding a little bit more of his time. So for 2022, we are going to go bi-weekly on the show. So every other week on the show, we're going to try it out. We'd love to hear from you if you think, hey, that's okay. I miss weekly. I just do a monthly show. Let us know. We're on social media at CogPod on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Keeper of the Games, CogSports.com. And of course, the podcast always drops first at CogPod.Podomatic.com. You can watch the videos if you dare on YouTube or they're also posted on our Facebook page. And the audio is pretty much everywhere iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google, Apple, so many other platforms for you. But the show is going to be every other week here for season three. And so that still means that we will have episode 100 coming up this year. Very, very excited about that and very excited about this show coming up. KU survives the Sunflower Showdown and then plays an even bigger game. We're also going to take the temperature of Shocker men's basketball, the state of the Shockers, which is not looking so bleak as if we were doing the show earlier in the week when the Shockers still didn't have a win in American Athletic Conference play. But we will begin today in one of the most thrilling divisional games. Hell, it may have been one of the best playoff games, maybe just football games that we have ever witnessed. A 42 36 come from behind victory after blowing the lead for Kansas City that has a chance to even add more mystique to the mythology of Patrick Mahomes a 14-14 game at the half somehow 28 points were scored in the fourth quarter the Chiefs won the coin flip and they won it in overtime driving down the field Patrick Mahomes somehow some way in 13 seconds Navigating the Chiefs into position for a 49-yard field goal. Harrison Butker, after leaving the door open for the Bills with a missed extra point in the fourth, 
atones with a huge field goal as time came off the clock to send the Chiefs into overtime. Chiefs won the toss, marched right down the field. It took just 4 minutes and 15 seconds when Travis Kelsey stepped into the end zone to end it sending the Chiefs to their fourth consecutive AFC Championship game. Arrowhead Stadium is now the only facility, the Chiefs the only team, to host four consecutive AFC title games in NFL history. Chiefs only the home team to win on Sunday, beat an extremely talented Bills team with a quarterback that was every bit the equal of Mahomes throughout this game. Tommy, I did not watch this game because... For some reason, on my digital receiver, I cannot get CBS inside my apartment. So I listened to the entire game on the Chiefs radio network. I think it was actually more exhausting listening to Mitch Holtis yell continuously for like an hour and a half through the fourth quarter and into overtime. I was spent after this game. What a incredible game and obviously what an amazing win for Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, so much to unpack with this game, <laughs> there and, is. and 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 you know what? It's not it's not all positive, uh, especially when you look forward to the, the AFC Championship game and beyond for Kansas City. We'll get into that later on, but if you the the best part about this was that you didn't need to be a fan of either team to just be absolutely drawn in to the poetry that was happening. You know, my, I think I've mentioned this before on this show. Maybe I haven't, but um, my wife is pretty well known for, uh, at least to me, like one of her, one of her big sayings that has always stuck with me is uh, sometimes there's romance in sports. And That's a great say. I love that. <clears throat> And it's the truth. And and uh, she actually, I think she said that for the first time when Tiger Woods won the Masters a couple of years ago. Um, and how that was just kind of like romantic coming oh, back, absolutely. you know, kind of thing. This game was was romance. It was poetry in motion. Um, and the, the fact that just the storylines and the way that both teams laid it all out on the field. This was two teams at the top of their game playing at the top of their game. And then we, we see that all the time in the NFL where there's a team that has supreme talent and they're, they've got these high expectations and they usually fall flat. At least one of the teams fall flat, you know, and you always have these big um, Titans that are matching up against each other, whether it's offensively, defensively, they're just a complete team, whatever that looks like. And ultimately one of them usually plays better than the other. This game, both teams played pretty damn even all the way through into into overtime. And so I think that, you know, taking away uh, there's so much that you can say about this matchup. Um, One of the one of the biggest takeaways for me is how I think you can now really solidify Kansas City and Buffalo as the new AFC rivalry for years to come. Buffalo is not going anywhere. Josh Allen is not going anywhere. Uh, You know, I think the only thing he played he's outstanding. He 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 played as perfect of a game as you could play and lose. Yeah, basically. Um, It it just you know was hats off to him. What it reminds me of, and uh, obviously I'm a KU basketball fan. It reminds me of the game that KU played inside Allen Fieldhouse in 2016 against Buddy Heald in Oklahoma. And it was the triple yeah. overtime game and Buddy Heald put up like 46 points, was making everything that he looked at. And KU somehow was able to win in triple overtime. Um, and the fans in Allen Fieldhouse gave Buddy Heald the standing ovation on the way out of the court. Um, 
that's the way that it was with Josh Allen in Kansas City. And, you know, if you it doesn't matter if you're the most diehard Chiefs fan in the world. I think you can look at Josh Allen and be like, man, that guy played his ass off oh, yeah. uh, against us and, and did everything that he could possibly do to get the Bills into the AFC championship game. He's not going anywhere. The Bills are not going anywhere. I think this is the new rivalry in the AFC for years to come. Yeah, they've definitely got some offseason issues that they'll have to fix in terms of free agency, contracts who to resign, just like the Chiefs have had these last few years as well. But, you know, looking at this game, the Chiefs offensively so overwhelmingly great. And the the running game, I thought, was a big X factor for the Chiefs as they were able to run the ball for over 180 yards in this game. Uh, I thought the Chiefs definitely had some questionable play calls. Bills were amazing on fourth down. They went four for four. There were some big breakdowns by the Chiefs defensively in this game. Tyron Matthew obviously going out with a concussion. You would love to have played the entire 60 minutes with him on the field. But the Chiefs, 27 carries, 182 yards, two scores. Patrick Mahomes, 33 for 44, 378 yards, three touchdowns. And that late drive of 13 seconds is stuff that like it it will be if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl and maybe even if they don't since he's already won one but if they win the Super Bowl this year that will be those will be the three plays that people will remember about this team about this season those will be three plays that you will always associate with Patrick Mahomes I was driving down Kellogg this week and there was a billboard just randomly in the middle of Kellogg, just before the Central Business District, and it had just red, gold striping, the Arrowhead logo, and a semicolon with 13. That's all it had on it. And you know exactly what it is. Just so sure. such an iconic, amazing Hall of Fame moment for the future of the Chiefs franchise. And I don't want to take anything away from that 13 seconds of brilliance. I mean, it was fantastic. Um, But I think that it's important to also remember what what immediately preceded those 13 seconds. And that was the Bills driving down the field and Gabriel Davis being wide open in the end zone. And the Chiefs was unguardable all game. Eight, eight receptions, 201 yards for Gabriel Davis. And, and I mean, that that's just insane. And you know, that's like Madden 64. What is that? You know, that's that's something that, you know, I think he's a guy to keep an eye on in the future for this team. And, and they're they are absolutely stacked at the wide receiver position. I know I keep going on about the Bills, uh, okay. but, you know, between Stephon Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis, and they've got Dawson Knox at tight end. I mean, they are loaded at the wide receiver position. And of course, with Josh Allen there, too, uh, you know, just that that's a great that's a great quarterback wide receiver core for sure but but ultimately you know we talk about the blown coverages we talk about the lack of defense especially in the passing game that Steve Spagnola had in that game and, and the defense had of course Tyron Matthew went out Charvarius Ward got injured wasn't playing either uh, down the stretch in that game for Kansas City you 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 take all of that and it's still glaring but it's the Band-Aid of Patrick Mahomes just absolutely was put on what happened with the defense in those 13 seconds. Like, nobody was thinking about the wide-open touchdown pass that put Buffalo in the lead as soon as Patrick Mahomes was able to get the Chiefs into field goal range with 13 seconds to go. The The, the best part about all of that is that... Yeah, it's it's magical from Mahomes and it's magical from Travis Kelsey. 
but that's not, it wasn't by accident that this happened. This was the brilliance and the play calling of Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid. And, not, and on top of that, just the supreme athletic ability from guys like Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. We, we've all heard the audio of the kind of the audible that Travis Kelsey. Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes called, you know, and the fact that, you know, not only was that not only were there play calls that got them a little bit closer, but then Travis Kelsey took it on himself to run a different kind of route because of something he saw in the Buffalo defense to get them into field goal range. Let's not forget about Harrison Butker, who kind of had a shaky game. You know, missed an extra point. What, you know, really, he hasn't been as he hasn't been as automatic this season as he has been in the past, and that's a huge pressure packed moment to force that game into overtime. And he was able to do that uh, with, with no time left on the clock. So hats off uh, all phases of the game, especially that you know when, when you when you get outside of the way that the Chiefs defended the passing game uh, against the Bills. Really solid, and, and you've got to look at what's going to be happening next week. Yeah, and, and you know, before we harp too much on Harrison Butker, I mean, he's missed two extra points all year. He's been perfect on field goals under forty yards, and for sure. forty in the forties, he's missed one, and in the fifties, he's missed two. And to me, if you yeah. make fifty percent of your fifty-plus field goals, you're an amazing kicker. I know there's some people that think these guys just put it in, and that's just the way that it is. If it's fifty-plus, I'm sorry, fifty percent is all you can expect. Get out there and kick me a field goal from 50 yards and then tell me how easy it is. And the only other thing that I would slightly push back on, let's not forget that this Chiefs team is probably not in this position if their defense had not completely turned around the season. Yes, they have struggled three sure. of the last four weeks. Three of the last four weeks they've had their uh, negative expected points in, in statistically, statistically, but... And two of the last four have been two of their worst performances of the year, statistically. However, it happened against Josh Allen, who probably played maybe, I mean, let's be honest. I'll call it like I see it, Tommy. You can, I can hot take horn myself if you want. I thought Josh Allen was the better quarterback in the game. He sure. had one fewer rushing yard. And that's not to take anything away from Patrick Mahomes, who was the second best quarterback probably in the league on, you know, in that game. But he had one fewer rushing yard. He was 27 of 37, 329, four touches, and then that 75-yard bomb that took Buffalo from feeling like they got no shot, they're out of it, just after that huge play for Kansas City. And all of a sudden, they are right back into it, and Buffalo feels like a huge threat. And you cut the lead down to two points immediately. He had a higher passer rating than Mahomes. As you said, Gabriel Davis was unguardable, but the Chiefs had a little bit more depth. Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, they slashed the Buffalo defense. McCole the Jet Hardman scored on that huge jet sweep for Kansas City, which was such a big play. Um, I did not like the call, by the way, when Kansas City split out Mahomes wide on fourth and one at the seven and went to a gadget play. At that point in the game, I, you get the ball into 15's hands, either for a handoff. Don't split him out wide. That, that's that's not what I like to do. But this defense, they did not play well. But let's remember who they were playing against. They're probably playing against you know what we think is the best team. I mean, when we started the year, we were thinking we picked four teams in the AFC and said it, the it's going to be one of these four teams: the Ravens. The Bills, the Chiefs, and the Titans. Those are the four teams that we said. 
Did we say the Browns coming into the year? Maybe we got the Browns wrong and we didn't have the Titans. I think that maybe we thought the Browns were going to be good. And, you know, I think the Browns probably should have been good, but they weren't. But, you know, three out of the four teams we picked. Now, obviously, the Ravens, they obviously did not have the season that we thought that they would, certainly after they beat Kansas City early on. But the Bills are a team that we thought coming into the season, like, this is a Super Bowl caliber team, without a doubt. And so, yeah, the Chiefs played their second worst game of the year, but look who they did it against. They are going to have to make adjustments, and we're not really going to get into a preview of Cincinnati because we're going to have a show the week before they actually play that game. So we'll talk Bengals-Chiefs in our next show in a couple of weeks. But that was the worst game, statistically, the Chiefs have played, and I don't really think it was actually the worst game that they played. I just think Joe, Joe Burrow, while he's not one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the league, he played as the best quarterback that particular game. And I think long-term, you say that the Bills are set up, Bengals are set up too. So I'm not quite as concerned about the defense. I'm more concerned about Joe Burrow coming up. And But, you know, Josh Allen was so good. What do you want the Chiefs to do? They didn't have Tyron Matthew, their you know signal caller, the most important player on that side of the ball. I know that they have brought in some guys in the middle of the season that have made a huge, huge difference. But, you know, when you're doing that against Buffalo, I tend to not be as worried. But without a doubt, there were huge breakdowns. Yeah, here's the issue is that for whatever reason, the Chiefs defense over the last four games, they it's fallen back to where the Chiefs defense was statistically at the very beginning of the season. Now, you can look at a couple of those opponents. They played okay against the, the Steelers. I think they played the Bengals, bad. Well, the, ba- the Bengals and the Bills. Bengals late in the fourth quarter. They, right. Yeah, that, that was a tire fire against the Bengals. Obviously, the and, and they've got great you know offensive production. And they're you, a good, you they're on a that. good team. They're, they they the, could absolutely go to the Super Bowl. Absolutely could the, happen. Uh, the other two teams were the Steelers and the Broncos. Those two games statistically also were some of the worst defensive output that uh, the Chiefs have had. Now, now obviously, ben, Denver was not ben a great Ro- game. Ben Roethlisberger didn't have a, a great first half. He didn't really have a great game no, at all in that really. playoff game. Didn't really but have a great season. They, they did have – there was some garbage time breakdowns there in were. that game that contributed statistically to the Chiefs' defensive uh, output not being uh, where it was kind of in that midway point uh, of the season. At the end of the day, I'm most concerned about this being a trend. Some of the things are out of the you know out of the control of Steve Spagnola. Of course, we talked about Teron Matthews' injury. Rashad Fenton, who has been one of the better defenders, especially in the secondary for Kansas City, has been in and out of the lineup. He hasn't played since the end of the regular season. Uh, it sounds like he may be back in the AFC Championship game, uh, but you know they definitely need him in. And then I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to say it. One of the biggest issues the last time the Chiefs faced the Bengals in the regular season was Daniel Sorensen. And the Bengals picked on Dan Sorensen all game long. They had Jamar Chase running all over that field, and there was no way that Daniel Sorensen could catch up with them or keep up with them throughout that entire game. There's no doubt in my mind that unless the Chiefs make some adjustments going in to the AFC Championship game, that Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow will do the exact same thing to Dan Sorensen in the AFC Championship. Oh, absolutely. So I, I think you, you've, got to, you've got to find a way to either 
double gig. I, do they have the personnel to keep him off the field? I, I don't know. I don't know. But you, you've got to find a way to either hide or, you know, get Matthew to shadow him a little bit because, yeah, in, in that game against the Bengals, yeah, they, they found in the second half the way to attack Kansas City. And they attacked Daniel Sorensen, and for whatever reason, and he's played much, much better in the second half of the year, but that was a really bad matchup for Kansas City. Really bad matchup. So when you look at the the pro football focus overall grades that come out per game sure. and you go back to that regular season Bengals game, of course, the overall, you know, the chief secondary uh, just as a good. unit didn't didn't play well. Um, but Legereus Sneed and Rashawn Fenton had the best coverage grades. Uh, but really, other than that, it was pretty bad. Sneed and Fenton, uh, Sneed was at 67.2. Fenton was at 61.2. Charvarius Ward turned in 35.1. Is 50 the benchmark? Can, is that is that what an average player is? I believe okay. so. Uh, Daniel Sorensen, his grade was 28.2. Real bad. In that in that regular season matchup against the Bengals that uh, the Bengals ultimately won there at the end. So, you know, that that's the thing about this Cincinnati team. I know we're not doing like a, a straight up preview well, actually, of the AFC I, championship I, I, game. I thought, you know, we, we actually should because it is coming up on sure. Sunday. So why don't we right. get into that right now? Because, sure. you know, going to your point, Joe Burrow was tremendous in that game, and he probably was the better quarterback in that game. I mean, 30 for yep. 39, 446. Four touchdowns. The Chiefs did get to him for four sacks, but he still had a passer rating of 148. And Kansas City offensively, I mean, we want to put everything on the defense. Sure, you can do that if you want. The Chiefs offensively scored three points in the second half of that game. They had a field goal in the fourth, and that was it. And all they needed was one touchdown, one touchdown, one measly six, and they're just Home field advantage throughout the playoffs, have the bye. We have no issues, nothing to worry about. And they managed three in the second half. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a defensive thing that has to get solved, which it does, because Joe Burrow was unbelievable. And they really, he didn't really have a running game to speak of. They had 19 for 60. They did nothing running the football. And the Chief was Joe Mixon out in that game, or did he play? For Cincinnati. I yeah. believe that he was out, if I remember. No, he did play. He was 12 for 46. Okay. He did catch gotcha. 47 passes for 40 yards. They targeted him eight times, so he was involved in the offense. Chiefs' numbers were a little bit depressed <clears throat> because they did lean heavily in the running game on that game. Daryl Williams, remember, had a very nice game. He went 14 yep. for 88. He picked up two touchdowns uh, in place of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So, that is part of the reason because the Chiefs still ended up with, what, 414 total yards, but mm -hmm. they had 155 yards on the ground, so they just had a really nice day running the football. But offensively, their offense in the second half was pretty pathetic, so it's not just a defensive problem in my mind. The Bengals found something and tweaked the system, and they got a, a, they got a lot of looks that they liked against Kansas City in the second half of that game. The only way, in my opinion that Kansas City can prevent the Bengals from putting up 35-plus points in this game is if they absolutely blitz over and over and over again. That was the biggest Achilles heel for the Bengals' offense in that game against the Tennessee Titans. I believe the 
the offensive line for the Bengals gave up nine sacks on Joe Burrow. Wow. In that game, I, I it was a ridiculous number. Uh, that offensive line couldn't stop anybody. Now, other than that, that was the only thing offensively that was a problem for Cincinnati. They, they did everything else pretty well. Uh, so the Chiefs are going to have to send a lot of pressure. They don't. They don't have a good enough secondary, in my opinion, to just constantly drop back and just sit and not put any pressure on Joe Burrow. Here's the problem. Uh, they're they're going to have to make him uncomfortable. At the end, at going into December, guess who was first in the league, pro football focus, grade against the Blitz? Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow. First yeah. in the league against the Blitz. So I understand what you're saying, not necessarily – the Chiefs aren't maybe the best coverage team. It seems like when they've played better defensively, it's been when they've been disruptive up front, right? When they yeah. get and Stone they Cole have Jones. they, yeah, they've got the dogs to be able to do that. And Chris Jones, Melvin Melvin Ingram has been a breath of fresh air on the edge and for Clark's Kansas had a City. Couple of nice games previously, maybe yep. not the last couple of weeks, but and I, I think it, I think it helps having Melvin Ingram opposite of Frank Clark sure. because you know when you've just got Frank Clark and then some other random player on the other side, the, the offensive line can, they can double Clark. They can, you know, really focus on him. Uh, but when you've got somebody, the caliber of Melvin Ingram, that's going to free up Frank Clark on the other side too. So they've got the dogs to be disruptive against the offensive line of Cincinnati. But the thing that I, I what is so intriguing about this game, in my opinion, is I think it's safe to say that we're at a point now with Kansas city. I, I always, I, I'm, I know that you, um, I think I know you follow. I don't know if you follow Marvel or DC or what what sure. side you follow. Um, but I remember going back. It was in the movie The Dark Knight, and the Great movie, by the, uh, the 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 quote was, um, I believe it was from Commissioner Gordon. Uh, you either die the hero or live long enough to become the villain. Yeah. Uh, I think the Chiefs are teetering on villain category now. Like I've seen a lot of people nationally that are rooting for the Bengals that one. And I think a lot of it has to do with the Bengals haven't been there in a long time. And it's the same way that the Chiefs hadn't been there in a long time. A few years ago, the Chiefs are building a dynasty. Not unlike what Bill Belichick and Tom Brady did in New England. They became kind of the villain over the years. I'm not saying the Chiefs are full blown villain yet, but I think it's safe to say that Kansas City has a swagger that the fans. Fans love, but the people that are not fans of the Chiefs don't particularly love. You know, you look at guys like Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, even Mahomes has a little bit of swagger to him. But the interesting thing, going back to this AFC championship, the Bengals have that swagger too. You look at Joe Burrow, he's got swagger written all over him. Even their kicker. I'm sure you saw the story about the kicker on the sideline as soon as the Bengals intercepted the ball uh, and they had, there was like, I don't know, 20 seconds left on the clock. The kicker, Evan McPherson, who's a rookie, by the way, turned to Joe Burrow and said, well, I guess we're going to the AFC Championship game. Like he had no doubt in his mind that he was going to go out on that field and kick the game-winning field goal to send the Bengals to the AFC Championship game. So the Bengals have the same kind of swagger that Kansas City has. And I know that that doesn't, equate to this you know the schemes and the game plan all of that but that kind of matchup swagger versus swagger is really intriguing to me well and i think that part of the the hatred is probably for uh britney lynn the uh sure. the wife to be you know she's spraying some champagne i don't know what you think about that i thought some of that 
some of the backlash from that was a little like like eh, really that's like there was one guy on Twitter who was like I can't believe that you dumped all that alcohol when there could be children down there in come in contact with alcohol like get a life man I'm more I, I'm I'm less concerned about that and I'm more concerned about just always watching. Jackson Mahomes dancing on the sideline. Not great dancing. I mean, kind of. I'm kind of like I'm over it. You know, I'm not 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 a not a great dancer. Probably not going to be on Dancing with the Stars, but Uh -uh. uh, it should be an amazing matchup. It is the 2 p.m. kickoff on Sunday at Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, Don't call them the Bungles. They're for real. Like we said, already beaten the Chiefs once this year in a game where the Chiefs choked a 28 to 17 lead. Some critical, you recall. Chiefs still had a chance to win that game. There were some critical and a couple maybe controversial penalties at the end of that game when they were trying to get off the field defensively. Calls didn't go their way. Be a little different. Two o'clock on Sunday at Arrowhead Stadium for the AFC Championship and the right to play for the Vince Lombardi Trophy. Hopefully we'll be get to bring the uh, Lamar Hunt Trophy home again to Kansas City. If that wasn't enough for a major sports weekend, KU basketball delivered, and Kansas State fans were definitely going to get to Kansas State basketball in this segment as well, as the Wildcats appeared poised for a huge statement victory on Saturday, leading Kansas by 16 at the half. The Jayhawks found another gear in Bramlage Coliseum, left the home crown stunned, a 78-75 come-from-behind victory in the Sunflower Showdown to move to 16-2 overall, 5-1 in Big 12 play. Ochai proved again why he is not just KU's best player, but one of the favorites to be the national player of the year with 29 points on 10 of 18 shooting from the field, including the game-winning layup with eight seconds to go. Nigel Pack was amazing for Kansas State. 35, 12 of 18, 8 of 12 from the three-point line, three steals on another planet. He was even better than Abaji was. Um, but KU annihilated Kansas State by 22 on the glass, by 11 in the off- on the offensive glass. They outscored Kansas State 18 or 19 to 8 on second chance points, and they held Kansas State to just 30% shooting from the field in the second half. And that wasn't even the most explosive or incredible game that KU played in the span of three days. Because they came back the next week, top 15 Texas Tech comes in, and all KU has to do is play double overtime, and Ochai Sets a new career high score in 37, hitting seven of KU's eight three-pointers. Ochai was seven of 12. The rest of the Jayhawks were 1-4-11, and he just carried KU to a 94-91 victory. Bryson Williams. Chiefs had, or beg your pardon, the Jayhawks had to survive another 30-point game. They won both of them somehow. Nigel Pack did it first, and Bryson Williams with 33 points, hitting all four of his three-pointers as KU made, they were about as bad as you could possibly be in the last five minutes of a game and still win. I tuned in midway. I had some work going on in the beginning of the game. I tuned in at about midway through the second half, and I thought, oh, I'm going to get to watch the game for about half an hour, 45 minutes. I ended up watching an hour and a half of basketball <laughs> because it went to overtime, went to a, another overtime. What's your takeaway, Tommy, from these two games? My takeaway is this. it does. N- you want to have success when you face adversity because we know every year in March Madness, once you get there, and I think that without a doubt, KU is going to get to the NCAA tournament. There is always that game. 
and KU in that game. And KU fans, you know which game it is. Sometimes it's not till the championship game against Syracuse. Sometimes it's in the Sweet 16, Davidson. Sometimes it's in the second round, Rhode Island. But you always have that game where you don't have your best stuff. What do you do to overcome it? I guess it really wasn't the Syracuse game. It was the Holy Cross game. Remember that you almost got beaten by Holy Cross, and I was about to jump off of a bridge during that game, <laughs> by the way. Um, but you always have that game, when Oregon a couple of years ago. You don't have your best stuff. So we'll stay focused on KU here for a moment before we turn to Kansas State. There have been stretches of games, Tommy, where KU has looked completely listless offensively. They had a 10-minute drought earlier this year. I think that was against Baylor. They have looked just completely inept offensively. They did so again first half against Kansas State. Last five minutes, they can't get a single basket against Texas Tech. So are you more appreciative and complimentary of the fact that they have been able to overcome this adversity and find a way to win like you want your team. Everybody wants their team to be able to fight through, be gritty, be tough, stay mentally strong, and be able to win. Or are you more concerned that, boy, what if we dig ourselves a hole in March that the team just can't get out of? Uh, you know, sometimes you're playing TCU on the road Before and your coach happens. says – your coach says that you couldn't beat the Topeka YMCA. Yeah, that also um, happened. You know, uh, I, I don't know. Look, I, the only thing I want to push back on from what you just said is they weren't, KU was not completely inept in the first half against Kansas State. They put up 34 points. They played decently okay. well. It was just Kansas State put up 50 points in the okay, first then, half. Let me say and, the defense was listless sure. in the first half. Sure, sure. And that's fair. I don't Nigel know. Pack I, was I feel really good. You got to give credit to Nigel Pack. He was really, sure. really good. Really good. Absolutely. Um, you know, here's the thing about this KU team. Uh, and I feel like I say this every year. Um, at one point or another, I always make the comment, man, I just can't figure this team out. <laughs> and I feel like that always happens until you get to the the big dance, until you get to the tournament. Then I'm like, OK, I understand the way that this team operates. It is a in my opinion, it's a much less frustrating team this year than it was last year. Uh, and when you've got Marcus Garrett as your leader, and I like Marcus, Marcus Garrett, I like what he brought to the table, but he was your primary guy. He was the leader of the team. That was a frustrating year, in my opinion. Um, I think that there are significantly more weapons that Kansas has this year than they've had in the past couple of years, um, especially from an offensive point of view. What Ochai Abaji has done and the steps that he has taken, the the improvement that he has made. I mean, he is a legitimate national player of the year contender with the with, with what he has been able to do for this Kansas team. But I do agree with you to an extent that there is something going on when the team goes on these long offensive droughts when it, it really Ten feels like in one of these games, it really feels like there's only a handful of guys that Bill Self truly trusts to be out there. You know, uh, it, it was it was nice to see, in my opinion, in that double overtime game against Texas Tech. It was nice to see KJ Adams get some minutes there yeah, uh, in the post. It seems good. like it's always it's always. Uh, David David McCormick or, or Mitch Lightfoot. Now David McCormick has played better in recent Against games. Against Kansas State, he, he was incredible. I mean, he hasn't been 
you know, bad Dave, like we saw early in the season. He's been a lot better Dave for sure, but it seems like it's either McCormick or Lightfoot, McCormick or Lightfoot. It was nice to see KJ Adams get some minutes and he played really, really well. I don't think, I don't think Kansas wins that game without KJ Adams and the contributions that he made down the stretch at the five spot. But what I think is so interesting, and I want to get your take on this, where has Remy Martin been, especially down the stretch Mm. In that Texas Tech game, he was not he was not on the court no. the last five minutes in regulation. He was not on the court in overtime, and he was not on the court in double overtime. This is this was correct me if I'm wrong. He was the Pac-12 Player of the Year. Yes, at one point during his time at Arizona State, the minutes that he played against Texas Tech. You could see the energy that he brought to that team. You could see how much faster the team moved, how much, you know, just the way that he facilitates. He wasn't even scoring the basketball at a large clip. I mean, that's largely left for guys like Ochai Abaji and Christian Brown. But just what Remy Martin can do in facilitating and running plays and just being the floor general, that that went away and uh, nothing against Dewan Harris. You know, I, I, he's not a great offensive point guard. Uh, and really he, there, he leaves a little bit to be desired defensively as well, but he's serviceable at point guard. He's, I'm not, just shoot, so he's confused. not shooting the ball. Uh, well, either he was two for 10 in that game. So he's not lighting it up from the outside. I'm just confused as to where is this guy that was much heralded coming to Kansas from Arizona State that everybody watched play. He he played against Kansas two different times and absolutely lit up the Jayhawks when he was with Arizona State once as a freshman inside Allen Fieldhouse. So I you know I know that there's a lot of speculation on social media about friction between Remy and and Bill Self. I don't know. I'm not. I we can't get into that. We can't speculate on that necessarily but what do you think do you do you think that this team is being held back because of the lack of Remy Martin playing especially down the stretch in clutch situations I mean that's possible you look at that Texas Tech game we'll just take that one as a snapshot he actually had of any player that played more than 10 minutes in the game he actually had the best plus minus for KU offensively he has not been that he's not been a big scorer like I think many people thought that he would I don't be. Think, I don't think Bill Self wants him to be, to be honest with you. And, I think he wants him to facilitate. And to, to that point, I mean, he did have five assists, only one turnover against Texas Tech. So I guess the question is, I don't know. The only thing that I could think of is that maybe Bill does not trust him defensively as much as DeWan Harris. But, you know, I don't think that the defense for KU, I thought that there were, there were moments there in the last few minutes where I thought that their defensive rotation was really, really good. What I thought that they yeah. really broke down a couple of times was not knowing the scout, and they did not get – and Bryce, Bryce and Williams made some excellent, excellent decisions sure. down the stretch in that game when he would hesitate on his crab dribble, wait to see, read the defense. Is there help there? There's not. I'm being guarded by a smaller guy who's not quite as strong in Christian Brown. I'm going to get to my post up, post up at the depth from the basket that I'm comfortable. I'm going to throw up my hook shot, and I'm going to make it because Christian Brown just can't he, – he just can't guard me. So I thought that he made really good decisions on when to shoot the three. He looked for his own shot without forcing it. I don't know if Remy Martin really helps in that situation. He's probably not guarding Bryson Williams, but I – 
it sounds like a criticism of Bill's self, which typically in this house, we do not take lightly. <laughs> However, um, looking at the statistics, yeah, I kind of agree. I, 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 maybe, would you like to say, I, you have to find somebody to take him out for. Now, Christian Brown, I thought, in that DeJuan game. Dewan Harris. Yeah, Christian Brown in that game played 48 minutes. I don't know if he really deserved 48 minutes, 4 of 13. He was missed five of his six threes. A lot of his looks were good. Now, I mean, and he's a guy who can, you know, pop off for 25 and hit five threes, so I'm not taking that away from him. But, yeah, maybe if you take out Dewan Harris, put Remy Martin in. Uh, Remy Martin, yeah. I know you said you didn't want to get into it, and we, you know, Spoiler alert for the fans of the show. We don't have any inside information as to what's going on in KU practice right now. But, you know, Remy Martin not being in the starting lineup against Texas Tech tells me something. Obviously, Dewan Harris has been doing something in practice, earning something in practice that's allowed him to get those minutes. So, you know, maybe there is something going on because just look. He hasn't at, been in the starting lineup for the last several yeah, games. It's, it's been Dewan Harris multiple times. So, you know, maybe there is something going on there. I mean, as Bill Self has always said, coaches are never going to cut off their nose to spite their face. They're always going to do what they believe is best for the team. And, you know, I'm interested to see how this plays out against Kentucky on Saturday. That's obviously a huge matchup again. This is going to be an incredible stretch. You know, Sunflower Showdown come from behind victory, double overtime against Texas Tech, and now you're playing Kentucky with a chance to maybe become the all-time winningest basketball program in the history of the sport on Saturday in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. So let's see how Dewan Harris and Remy Martin kind of coexist in the lineup on Saturday. But you're right, Dewan Harris, only two assists in the game. I thought I didn't really – he didn't pop out to me as a guy who was really great defensively. And of all the Jayhawks in the game, he had the biggest – plus minus at negative eight in this game for Kansas. Yeah. So here's the biggest question mark for me for Kansas. As we move forward, you you posed this question at the beginning of the segment about does it concern me about offensive droughts, things like that? Not really because of the weapons offensively that Kansas has. We talked Baji about Ochai Baji and just insane. Uh, Christian Brown, yeah, he didn't have a great game against Texas Tech, but he has been able to step up uh, in, in various games. Jalen Wilson has played really well uh, in, in, in conference play. We know in crunch time, who's going to make the clutch shot for Kansas? And we have faith in them. And that shot My that Ochai Abaji hit, can you even, I like, oh, that's like a yeah. Patrick Mahomes 13 seconds type of play. There's sure. no way that you can actually make that shot. That shot just doesn't get made. Ochai Abaji yeah. splashes the net. It was, it was so, an unbelievable shot. To, so to answer your question, no, it doesn't really concern me about offensive droughts for Kansas because we know offensively they can get back into it. Look at the Sunflower Showdown. They were down 16 at halftime. The deficit got to 17. They came back and they won that game in the second half. So I, I'm not concerned about them offensively, regardless of what happens with, with Remy Martin. I think their ceiling is higher with Remy out on the court. I think they've got an opportunity to do more, play faster, uh, be more explosive with Remy Martin. So no. I'm not concerned about that, but what I am concerned about isn't about who's going to make the clutch shot. It's who's going to make the clutch stop defensively for Kansas. I mean, I think it's worth pointing out. They're the worst defensive team in the big 12, which is not normal, not normal the at all. Worst. 
They've given up more points on average per game than any other team in the entire conference. So that is a concern of mine. Big, big concern. Remy Martin, yeah. Uh, there, there are clearly some defensive lapses. Dewan Harris has some defensive lapses. Christian Brown, Ochai, they, they all are, and that's what you, that's, that is what you lose when a Marcus Garrett graduates and goes away. You lose oh, that defensive stopper. They've got to find a way or someone to bring that back on that roster because what's going to end up happening is you're going to eventually run into a buzzsaw. Man, it might not be until the tournament, but you, you, you're you going to run into an Oregon or a Villanova or an Auburn that they're just going to offensively do whatever they want. And you've got to have somebody who can at least attempt to stop them. And right now, I don't really have a whole lot of faith that anybody on that roster can. Texas Tech with the victory uh, earlier in the week, or beg your pardon, with a loss earlier in the week to Kansas State as we kind of segue over here to the Wildcats, Tommy. As Kansas State, you mentioned a team that's hard to kind of figure out. What do you make of these Wildcats? Because they lose three straight, four straight games to start Big 12 play. They lose by two at Oklahoma. They lose by 13 to Texas. They lose at West Virginia by three. They lose versus Texas Christian by three. Then they come back and beat what I think we both agree is a really darn talented Texas Tech team. It's absolutely a top 25 team, at least the team that I watched uh, on Monday. They go down and they win in Austin. They play KU to a three-point game, and then they get absolutely blown off of the court in Waco. I don't know if there's any even any reason to discuss the Baylor game. 74-49. Boy, Baylor has absolutely like owned Kansas State in Waco the last few years. I don't know what the deal is down there, but you look at the last couple of years. I mean, last year in January, remember they got... They got killed 107 to 59, and the time before that in Manhattan, they beat the Wildcats 100 to 69. So for whatever reason, Baylor has won six straight in this series after Kansas State had won the previous six in the series. So it's all Baylor right now. Baylor's are off. I mean, KU ought to know they are a really talented team. Um, but Nigel Pack. 13 points, 4 of 12 shooting as Kansas State just shot awful down in Waco. They were 22% from the three, 32% from the field in that game, and Baylor basically got every shot that they wanted. They shot 57% from the field, and they ended up scoring 38 points in the paint. Kansas State only got 20. Baylor just crushed Kansas State. So what do you make of this Kansas State team that's had – they had a bad start, but they were close in so many games. They come back with a couple of fairly impressive victories. They lose a tight one, and then in the two-day turnaround from playing you know, the, the Saturday to Tuesday game, uh, they just get blown out by Baylor. They're not a good basketball team. I mean, I, I, you know, I think that they are improved from a year ago, but that's not hard to do because the team from a year ago was absolutely abysmal. Real bad. Uh, I would say at best, this Kansas state team is mediocre. I mean, just you take a look at their overall resume. They're, they're mediocre. They're not in the NCAA Uh, tournament right now at all. Yeah, they're, they're, they're mediocre. Uh, they're going to they're gonna finish in the Big 12 with a losing record in conference play. Um, you know, they're going to probably get bounced early in the Big 12 tournament. It's going to be an early exit. I mean, I think that maybe they're an NIT team. Maybe. Uh, I just don't think they're a good basketball team. I think they 
absolutely without a doubt got up to play Kansas on Saturday in the Sunflower Showdown. That's easy to do, though. Typically what Kansas State teams do. Uh, And it wasn't just, uh, I'm going to throw it out there and, you know, it is what it is. I'm going to say what I'm going to say. It wasn't just the players that got up for Kansas. It was the fans that got up for Kansas, too. And the fans typically, this season at least, don't get up for anybody else. I don't know if you've looked at Bramlage this season outside of the Sunflower Showdown. Nobody's in there. Wow. Nobody's going to watch Kansas State games. I've seen the pictures. Nobody shows up. Texas Tech and game, so, the attendance was 6,000. Yeah. Uh, so they're not a good basketball team. Nigel Pack had a great game against Kansas. I don't want to take anything away from him. He was making everything that he looked at. Um and good for him. That's awesome. He's got a lot of talent. Um, he Tremendous. All, carried, all, big, he, all conference player. Without a doubt. But there are not a lot of other supporting pieces around him. I think the Missouri transfer, Mark Smith, uh, has some nice pieces. I think that he has come in and provided a little bit for Bruce Weber. But beyond that, He's their best I think rebounder. there are some... Yeah, I think that there are some young pieces on this team that will continue to develop, but they're far from being a solid basketball team. And unfortunately for Bruce Weber, I'm not sure. And I, I it's kind of funny because I feel like I'm a broken record. I've been saying this I, like all the way back in like episode number it. three. He's not going to make it. I just don't understand wh- how he continues to make it. The, the bottom line for me is that he did not coached that team well down the stretch against Kansas. That loss, in my opinion, is on Bruce Weber from a Kansas State perspective. What makes you most critical of that coaching performance? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Bill Self came out and played triangle two defensively in the second half, and that really shut down Kansas State. I mean, Kansas State scored, uh, what, Twenty-five points in the second half. Yeah, so they shot fifty under thirty percent. I will say yeah. to to defend Bruce Weber, nobody in the history of basketball throws out a junk defense that they haven't practiced, that they haven't shown all year, and have it work like Bill Self. But I'm sorry, I'm not saying that anybody like I'm not saying people tend to have success against it, but this isn't the first time that Bill Self has thrown triangle 2 at Bruce Weber in the second half of games. No, He's done that before, and by this point, Bruce Weber is familiar enough with Bill Self that he should be able to recognize guys in the second half, in the locker when room, this happens. Talk, he should be talking. When this happens, when adjustments are made by Kansas, this is what we need to expect. And I don't know if that just doesn't happen or if the message isn't received or they're just not executing that well. But whenever Kansas makes adjustments in the second half, Bruce Weber and the Wildcats tend to falter. And it's not the first time that's happened. Uh, I think this one has got to be the most crushing. I mean, they were they had that game in hand. I mean, uh, we didn't even mention the fact that 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 comeback from Kansas was the largest halftime deficit comeback in KU history, in the storied history of the Jayhawk program. Not a single team in the Fog Allen era, in the Roy Williams era, in the Larry Brown era, in the Bill Self era had ever come back from 16 points down at halftime to win a game. Never. And that's what happened inside Bramlage Coliseum during the Sunflower Showdown. Marquise Noel, I think we ought to mention him as well. He's been pretty good for Kansas State too, but yeah, just something 
missing there. I said last year, we were talking about our preview, what's going to happen with Kansas State. This is kind of what I said was going to happen. They're going to improve. They're going to be better, just a little bit better, and Bruce Weber is going to keep his job. We'll see. I know you're on the other side. But you've been you've been I mean, on the coaches today. Bill Self and Bruce Weber, neither of these guys can coach. <laughs> I just feel like, uh, oh, come on. I don't, I don't think we need to lump those two in together. Um, I, I just feel like right now Kansas State is continuing to settle for mediocrity, and that's all it's going to be moving forward uh, until something happens. And that could be this year, but knowing K-State, they'll probably sign Weber to another extension and he'll be there for another five years. Ole Miss coming up for Kansas State, 3 o'clock Saturday. The Jayhawks, of course, renew their rivalry with Kentucky on Saturday. That is Which, a by the 5 p.m. tip-off. Isn't Kansas only three wins behind Kentucky yes. for the all-time I think uh, a, winning? I believe it could swap if they... like. I, I don't remember, but yeah, like Brian Haney on the Equity Bag Jayhawk Sports Network from Learfield IMG College and Alphabet Soup uh, has been, it's like the long, like, can we literally, do they have to say it? Do we really care that it's from yeah. IMG or Learfield at this point? Just say the Jay, remember what Bob Davis say on the Jayhawk Network and that was it? That was good enough? Like, come on. I mean, I know I want to work for one of those networks at some point in my life, but God, just simplify it a little bit. But he's been tracking it, and so I know that it's close because he tracks it. By the way, Brian Brian Haney's call. Uh, I don't know if you saw that going around oh, social big media. Big time call for that shot against uh, Texas Tech. Oh my gosh! Yep, great call, Brian Haney. Uh, just nailed you it. You know, I, he's yeah, he's great. Yeah, I, you always hope. At least I do as a play by play guy because you want to be in that situation and you don't want to cuck it up. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you only sure. have that moment and it's not like you get a do-over. It's not a video game where you can just sure. save and go back or, you know, or it's a serve in tennis where you get a, you know, a, you have a second serve. You only get one shot. And when you nail it, man, it is a great feeling and he nailed it. So that we, was awesome. We need to get Brian on this show. I'm surprised that we have not attempted to get Brian on this we program. Could try. That would so be far. A, that would be a good get for us. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like he you know, I don't want to say he knows me, but I think he would recognize my name and he obviously knows, he knows you. Me. He so. does know me. I mean, we could try. I, I assume he's probably a little busy this time of year, but sure. I mean, maybe like after the season sure. or yeah, something maybe like we that. Can, maybe yeah. we'll try that once again, five o'clock for the sunflower showdown. That game is on ESPN. I think all of the big 12 sec games are on the ESPN family of networks. So find the one that you want. Our last segment for today, Wichita state men's basketball. And it was looking pretty bleak coming into this show, but the Shockers yesterday holding on. They beat Central Florida 84-79 to as Ricky Council went otherworld for the Shockers. 31 career-high points. It had been the first time in 10 days, but the Shockers did not show any signs of rust offensively as they beat Central Florida 84-79 to to get that win Wednesday night at Charles Koch Arena to improve to 10-7 and and somehow snap a four-game losing streak. 1-4 and four they moved to in the American Athletic Conference. Council was 16-20 of 20 at the Fallons. He basically just lived at the 15-foot stripe, did a great job drawing contact. It's the first time a Shocker has scored 30 points in a game since 2019. Marcus McDuffie went for 34 in a win over Temple in the AAC tournament. Um, Tommy, coming into this game, it was so, I think, difficult for me to look and kind of, again, 
you know, we said it about KU, say it about Kansas State. Like, what is going on with this team? Because in so many of these games, now the Memphis game, I think Memphis was just clearly better than them on New Year's Day. But in so many of these games, you look at the Houston game, pretty competitive throughout both of the halves, but Houston is a top 15 team on the road. Okay, you can forgive that. Against Tulane, Wichita State was just clearly better than Tulane in the first half. They led them 42-28 to at halftime, and somehow the Shockers only scored 25 points in the second half. Uh, and in, in that game, they let Forbes get completely going. Jalen Cook was amazing in that game for Tulane, and the Shockers somehow messed that up. They take on Cincinnati. Wichita State has a three-point lead at the half. Again, they struggle down the stretch, and the second halves offensively for the Shockers have just been brutal. And, you know, really, even against even against Central Florida in the last game, I mean, Central Florida had a big run late. Wichita State had a double-digit lead. I think it was an 8-0 run or something by Central Florida. They scored 14 points in, like, the last minute and a half of this game to make it close, and they got within four within the last minute of that game. So, for whatever reason... Wichita State has just not been finishing games well at all, whether it be from halftime or in the last few moments. What do you make of this Wichita State shocker team that hasn't quite lived up to expectations that people had coming into the year? Well, you know, I go back to your question um, all the way when we were talking about KU basketball and about their scoring droughts and things like that. And if that concerned me, it doesn't concern me about Kansas, but it does about Wichita State. Um, You know, they're... I went to one of the the non-conference games um, before Christmas, um, and I don't exactly remember who they played. Norfolk State maybe was the opponent. It was a non-conference game. And the Shockers ultimately won that game. 71-58 back in December. But there were stretches of just the offense disappearing. Um, they, They would go six, seven minutes at a time without making a field goal. Uh, and so th- there are obviously concerns about that. And I think that continues in conference play. I don't want to be alarmist here, but I really do think that the game against Tulane, the win that the Shockers had in the roundhouse, was as close to a must-win game for the Shockers and Isaac Brown that you could you could Central have. Central Florida, the winning against Central Florida, you mean? Central Florida. Uh, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that uh, Isaac Brown's job is on the line. I don't think that that's the case at all. There's some shocker the administration, fans. You listen to sports talk radio. Sure, that are sure. on the ledge. Which I, by the way, I think that is so incredibly, unbelievably premature. Like, come sure. back to me in 2024 if the Shockers are playing like this and you want Isaac Brown's job. We can have that conversation. In February 1st, 2024, I'll be ready to have that sure. conversation. This year, like, get off of the soapbox. Yeah. You're coming off I of think the that... greatest era in the history of your program by so far. Don't give me the Final Four run. Don't give me MTXC in the 80s. I know they, they have had other good teams. Greg Marshall's era was the best in Wichita State history by, like, an astronomical sure. unit. So and now you have expectations so high as a fan base, it's impossible to live up to. Uh, and you know what, Isaac Brown, will he get to that that greatness? Probably I don't not. Know. 
but he can Who still knows? have a really I'm, good program. He's probably sure, not. Absolutely. I mean, what are the chances he's going to do what Greg Marshall did, though, Tommy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's slim, but you you never know. And that doesn't know. mean I mean, he's I a bad that, coach. No, not at all. But I think that this what this win against Central Florida did was sort of I don't want to say it quieted the mob, but I think it at least gives him a little bit more breathing room. I hope so. Let's 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 face it. Like the administration, they're behind Isaac Brown as they, as should, they should be. be. The the rest of the coaching staff is behind Isaac Brown as they should be. The players love Isaac Brown yeah. as they should. Uh, he's not going anywhere, but. It's important that the Shockers continue to be competitive in their conference. And they have and been competitive, but they just have not. Sure, they they haven't they haven't been They've able to make the, the definitive hump. plays. That's yep. a good way to put it. They have not been yep. able to take care of business to get those wins. That's been the difference. And you know, ultimately, it comes down to the offense. Uh, we know how solid of a defense Wichita State has. We know how great of a defender Dexter Dennis is, and kind of leads the the defensive charge game in and game out for the Shockers. Uh, they've got to find a consistent score. They've got to find a consistent playmaker. Is that Tyson at the end? Occasionally, sure, but not always. Sometimes he disappears. Sometimes he has a, a night where he goes two for twelve from the field. Uh, but you've got to have other people. Ricky Council is someone that can be that guy moving forward. And the the output that the the explosion of thirty plus points that he had, I think show I think that gives a good indication that he's willing to be that playmaker moving forward. So you just have to the shockers need to find that consistently. And if they're able to have that game in and game out, you're talking about a much different shocker basketball squad. Well, and the other thing too, Tommy, I mean, I think that we need to come off of this like, oh, Wichita State's defense is so great and all that. And they've made good defensive plays, but defensively, I don't really think Wichita State is elite. Look at they look at the points that they have given up in the second half of some of these games. I mean, right now, they're fourth in the American defensively. They're giving up 64 points per game. I think they're good, but I don't know if they're good enough to overcome their offense, which is the second worst in the league. They're only scoring 68 points per game, so they don't have a real big margin for error. And Wichita State is only 7th in the league in field goal percentage defense. They do a good job defending the 3. They're tied for 2nd in 3-point percentage defense, but they're just average in turnover margin. They're 3rd worst in assist-to-turnover ratio in the American. And they're just even with their opponents in terms of the points off turnovers that they score each game. And the Shockers, Tommy, they have made some big, in some of these losses, they have made some big turnovers at the wrong point of the game. And I know that people will say, you know, people that have no idea what they're talking about, oh, there's no such thing as momentum, <laughs> and every single basket counts the same, and, yada, you know, all this junk. Here's I the, wonder who you're talking about. Do you have somebody th- in particular you're talking of, about? No, 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 there's not. There's a lot of people who think that, a lot of people. And here's the thing. Bill Self knows, and he has said, basketball is a lot like tennis. There are some plays... There are some points, there are some baskets that are bigger than others. There are. Sure. And the Shockers have made some huge turnovers at the wrong part of the game. They have shot under 40% from the field, barely made over 30% from the three-point line. And by the way, they've only got one player above 35% from the three this year, and that's Monzi Jackson. And the other difference this year, Tommy, is Tyson Etienne has been unable to just create offense like last year. Last season... 
this is not a guy that we really said a lot about coming into the year as being a guy that they would miss. Altery Gilbert on the outside kind of opened things up for Etienne last year. Etienne shot 39% from the three last year. Craig Porter sure. leads Wichita State in assists this season, but the offense just is not the same as it was when Gilbert was orchestrating it. Etienne only hitting 32% of threes this year, and he's taking a huge volume of Wichita State shots. A 7% we are taking so many of your team shots. That's a big drop-off, and it's been one that Wichita State, in these conference games, when they haven't been you know, one of the best defensive teams in the country, they've been unable to overcome that. Putting 40 minutes together, something that I think with – the exception of very, very few games, haven't hasn't really happened for Wichita State this season. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they clearly are missing a couple of those weapons that they had, you know, last year for sure. But you're right. I mean, creating offense is the name of the game. And I, I think, that, you know, one of the things that um, I've noticed from watching uh, Isaac Brown, we, we know that, and this is not meant to be a criticism at all of Coach Brown, but what his big selling point was when he became head coach officially of Wichita State was his skills as a recruiter. We all know how great of a recruiter he is. Um, that's kind of been his claim to fame in his career. What we didn't hear a lot about is the actual in-game coaching. And that's something that I think he's learning how to do as he goes. It's kind of like building the plane while you're flying it. Uh, he's, he's kind of learning how to be that head guy on the sideline, coaching, making adjustments, working with the team, figuring out the flow of the game in real time. That's a big reason, I think, why uh, Isaac Brown hired Billy Kennedy, who had been the head coach at Texas A&M, to come in and be on his staff, to have an experienced head coach on the, the bench with him, to help give him advice and kind of help him sure. along, which I thought was a great move. But what I've noticed is... A lack, not necessarily a lack of adjustment, but a lack of an understanding from the players on the court of exactly what they're doing at any given time. It's not all the time, but in clutch moments, and especially when the team goes on a scoring drought, I feel like they have a hard time figuring out how to bust out of that. How do we get out of that slump? How do we, if we haven't scored in six minutes, how do we get the ball in the hands of someone who's going to make a shot? And of course, it all comes down to whether or not the ball actually drops through the hoop. But ultimately, what sort of, you know, are there designed plays that make it a little bit easier for the playmaker, Tyson Etienne or Ricky Council or whoever to be able to score? So I've noticed that a little bit in the Isaac Brown era. I think it will get better. I'd like to think that as he gets more games under his belt, he'll be able to adjust a little bit more in game in real time in the moment. But just something I've noticed just from the, the first year and a half of what he's done at Wichita State. They will try to get that game back from Tulane coming up on Saturday. They play an 11 a.m. tip off. That is on the U down at Fogelman Arena. So Wichita State back to work. Time to wrap up the show, but... One thing that has not changed, even, even though we are going every other week here in 2022, so the best way, of course, to stay on top of that is to like, share, and subscribe right now to the show so that you get the notifications every time that we post a new show, or you can just follow us on Twitter. That will also do the job as well because we will post the show when it is 
uh, finalized, when Tommy gets all the editing done, that will be posted to our Twitter account for the audio and the video, so you can follow us there as well. But there is one more piece of information, and that is, of course, for me to push this button, and it is time for the first time in 2022 to hit the music as we go around Wichita. It's our Wichita whip around, a story from the Wichita sports area, and we will give you the entire month of January this time, Tommy, because we haven't been doing shows. So any story from the Wichita area pertaining to our fans that you think that they probably missed and need to know about, what would that be from January? Well, I don't know if they probably missed this, but I do think it's worthy of at least a mention on this show. Uh, Unfortunate news when it comes to uh, local professional sports in Wichita. A couple of weeks ago, the Wichita Force indoor football team uh it was announced that they were being removed from their league uh the champions what is it called the champions football league or the champions indoor yeah yeah, champions indoor football league removed the wichita force from their league after the team was found to be in violation of multiple league requirements and was given multiple opportunities to comply but didn't the board of directors uh, of the league said they took a positive step forward by removing the team from the league and uh, i've not heard what those rules actually were that were violated uh i don't know and i don't want to speculate i do know the team has had various locations that they played over the course of their time uh in existence including interest bank arena including Hartman Arena, including the Kansas Star Casino. Um, I know that they had had a little bit of issues as far as securing a permanent place to play, uh, but definitely unfortunate news, especially for those that enjoy indoor football in Wichita. Yeah, without a doubt. And I remember, you know, when indoor pro football was as big as it's ever been, you know, I got to call to yeah. uh, CPIFL champion, or maybe, maybe it was CIFL, I don't remember, one of those leagues, two uh, back-to-back championships for the Wichita Wild back in the day. Of course, that was with John Blazik was the general manager. Hartman was the owner of the team. And so it was just so much. Was Ken Matus the coach back in those days? No, it was Morris Lawler was the coach okay. that came in and won those. Back- he had been at Friends University, right? Hadn't Morris Lawler been? Yeah, I think he was an uh, assistant the quarterback for a while. at Friends back in the day or something and like he that. Most recently, was as far as I knew, he had been the head coach at Bethel for a few years, but gotcha. you know, recruiting guys to come in, he just never really got started there at, at Bethel. Of course. Coach Harrison came in from Wichita Heights and completely turned around the program, and now he's in Friends, uh, which is where I'm going to go with my Wichita whip around, Friends women's basketball. I don't know if you've been paying paying attention to the KCAC at all, Tommy, but Friends has been absolutely tremendous this year, women's basketball. They are 17-5. They are 12-4 in the league. They were third in the conference coming into this week's games. They get an eight-point win over York College, one of the newer members of the league at the Garvey Center earlier this week. Next up for the Friends women, they will be in action again in conference play at McPherson, going up to play the Bulldogs. That is a 6 o'clock p.m. tip-off on, let's see, that's actually today. They're actually playing right now as we are doing the show. So a very busy KCAC schedule coming up for them. So uh, they have won seven of their last nine. And coming into this week, Tommy, they had been in third place behind only number 10 Sterling. The Warriors are 20-1, and 14-1, and and the Blue wow. Jays of Tabor, they're in second. So friends, Falcons women's basketball has been really, really tremendous this year. And uh, that is the whip round. I'm, I'm sad you did not bring a positive story for the whip round. You had to drag us down with the Wichita force, man. Come on. 
Is there a positive story out there? I mean, if you would have, you know, told me I needed to be positive, I would have found something positive. Well, you should but. have, because the time to be negative, of course, is in this segment. Additions, corrections, and retractions, where, of course, we admit our shortcomings. So Tommy, of course, admitting that he should have saved the story for this segment. It brought a positive one for the whip around. But are there any additions, corrections, or retractions you'd like to make, Tommy, for our first episode of season three of the podcast? I'll just do the opposite. So I, I brought a negative story to the whip around and I'll be positive in this okay, section. I fine. did pretty well today. Uh, I didn't have any, any issues or anything. So I feel like I've, I think I had a pretty good show. Okay. Well, you, that's your positive story. That's it. Is that sure. you had a good show? Yeah. yeah. I don't have any, I don't have any corrections or retractions or anything. I had a pretty solid show. Well, there's the air horn. First uh, big horn there of 2022. I, mean, I do have an addition that I would like to make. Can, KU women's basketball has had a pretty decent start to the year. 12-4, yeah. and 3-3 three and three in the Big 12. We said for Coach Snyder, this needed to be a year. They take a step, and so they're taking a step. Had a huge win down in Texas on the road. And Kansas State women's basketball. Ayoka Lee set a new yeah. NCAA Division One scoring record. She dropped 61. She's now the Wilt Chamberlain of women's basketball at the NCAA level as they upset number 14 Oklahoma 94-65, setting that record. The Wildcats are 15-4, 5-2 in the Big 12, and returning to some rarefied air. It's the best program that, or the best team that Coach Mitty has had in his program. Wildcat women's basketball fans, Tommy, they have not tasted this in quite a while, but it definitely looks like Coach Mitty has that program moving in the correct direction. Yeah, that was cool to, to see her get the the national recognition for that. I mean, you had people all, she was all over. Player of the week, wasn't the, she? Yeah, I mean it, that was pretty cool, and and you know NBA players and you know different oh, yeah. people like that shouting her out, and that that was pretty cool to see. Um, I, if you want a positive uh, addition, I'll give you a positive addition. We did not mention WSU softball. Uh, they were picked to repeat as conference champions in the American addition. Conference this season. They are also. So uh, 25th in the preseason national poll. Uh, and so, you know, obviously we we talked about at length last year what they were able to do uh, throughout their season last year. And so, uh, you know, it looks like the national media and, of course, folks in the conference, they believe that the Shockers have a, a pretty solid team this year, too, and that they're going to have a lot of success. Yeah, so- softball season actually starts next week, so I think we'll probably have to have our uh – Shocker softball preview show. We said we we're going to pay more attention to Shocker softball this year, sure. Tommy. So we got to put our money where our mouth is. Obviously, we're going to have a lot of football to be discussing, but we will find a way to get Shocker softball in our next show. So Shocker softball fans, make sure you tune in. That is it. The first show of 2022 is in the books. Looking forward to another great year with all of you. Episode 90 coming up next week. And once again, we'll be talking plenty of Chiefs football and we'll be hopefully previewing a date in the Super Bowl to play an NFC team for the Chiefs' third Lombardi trophy, but it's not going to be a gimme against the Bengals. It's going to be a heck of a game, so we will see what else is happening. We'll also talk Shocker softball next week as they get going, and uh, soon after that, may have to even talk Shocker baseball coming up next week as the Diamond Sports are getting going at Wichita State. Once again, like, share, and subscribe to the show. Really appreciate you guys following along with us as we start this, our third year, I guess it's my first and a half year, second year, whatever you want to call it, Something on like the that. podcast. Did I sub in the first year? I don't even remember. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, it's my second and a half-ish year on the show, cogsports.com, and of course at CogPod on Twitter, cogpod.podomatic.com. 
the best place to get the audio, but you can like, share, and subscribe on all of your favorite platforms, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and much more. And we're still at CogPod on Twitter. And Tommy, I believe that you are still on Twitter, and I know you'd like to inform our beloved audio-only listeners of where they can find you on Twitter. Of course, you can always, you know, look in the bottom of your screen to see my Twitter handle. Uh, but if you're not watching, you can follow me anytime on Twitter at tweets from Tommy. And I, of course, I'm. Well, let me try that again. I am, of course, <laughs> I had like a, it's like I had a seizure there. Uh, B E Crips, B E Crips on Twitter. We will see you next week. Excited to be back for 2022. This has been Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G pod.